Good evening. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Numbers, chapter 30. Numbers, chapter 30. And while you're turning, I want you to think of the first time you ever heard somebody uh, vow a vow or swear an oath. I am a school teacher by trade, and when I was doing my time in the classroom, I heard many oaths on a daily basis. I swear, sir, it wasn't me. I swear it wasn't me. And it, usually the strength of the oath was inversely correlated with the veracity of it, uh, usually. Uh, but you would have heard a lot of them in your life. Uh, I didn't do it, I swear. And someone, when someone swears, when someone gives a vow, when someone makes an oath, they're not just saying, they're not just making a statement, I did it or I didn't. Uh, they're escalating whatever they've said to add another layer of seriousness uh, to what they've claimed. They, they escalate the seriousness by invoking an oath or swearing. And all throughout all of human history, we find that men and women have done this. They have vowed vows, made oaths. In every culture, in every part of the world, humans give their word, they promise, they bind themselves with a curse. A popular one you may find in the Old Testament, may God do to me, and moreover, unless X happens. And that's sort of an inverse curse. That's not like saying, oh, I swear on my mother's life. Uh, that's saying, may awful things happen to me if I don't get to do this awful thing to you. Um, so in terms of vows not recommended, that's got to be right up there. Uh, but humans do this. We find them everywhere, making vows. So read with me in chapter, thir uh, chapter 30 here, uh, and then we'll pray and we'll begin. So in number 30, we'll read just verses uh, 1 and 2. It says, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth, out of his mouth. Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, for this good day that you've given us. Lord, we're grateful for this time where we can come in your house, sing your praises, offer you our prayers, and open your word and learn of you. Lord, show us of your will and your mind. This day we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what we read here, first of all, you should take away from this that vows are a, they're a real thing. They're not just a little word game that human beings play. Uh, God takes vows seriously. They, they seem to matter to God, so much so that he regulated it when he set up the nation of Israel. Uh, he gave laws. Uh, so when you make a vow, it actually does do something. It does something, and it matters. You can be vowing to God, or you can be making a pledge to another man or to another woman, but when you do that, something goes down, and it's not just hot air and vibrations and sound. Once a man gives an oath and is sworn to something, then to reverse this is to break an oath. And the law of God is there in verse 2. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. So when you say, look, I'll see you at 3.30, and you miss the bus and you get there at 3.50, uh, well, you lied. Now, you'll have your reason. You'll have your apology. Uh, and, but what you told your friend is not true. And you did lie, even if you meant it when you said it. Um, now, when you say, I swear to God I will be there at 3.30, and you get there at 3.50, well, you lied. And you are, on top of that, you are forsworn. You are an oath-breaker. Uh, and your sin is the greater. Now, we know as Christians that even the smallest sin can damn a man, but we also understand that there is differences in magnitude of sin. All of them will get you into the pit without Jesus, but 
The difference between stubbing your toe and saying a word you ought not and exterminating six to seven million Jews, they differ in magnitude. And God's not just like, ah, it's all sin. What, what does it matter? There is a difference in magnitude, and oaths increase the magnitude. Even the smallest sin is enough to damn a man, but it differs in magnitude. Now, the command of God as pertains to vows is clear. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And this theme is repeated all throughout the Old Testament. Now, many times we read the psalmist say, I will pay thee my vows. So David would say that to God. I will pay my vows to you. So clearly, David was making vows. Uh, sometimes you'll hear him say things like, uh, offer God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. So that very clearly this was going on in Jewish society and it wasn't just something that they were ashamed of. They felt they had the liberty to do it. Uh, but here in the law of Moses, we find some regulations of the ins and outs of how you're supposed to do it. So look down there further in Numbers chapter 30. Look in verse 3. Uh, we find out that husbands and fathers had some say over the vows that their, their wives and their daughters would do. Interestingly, it doesn't mention sons. I'm assuming that whatever the son signed up for, dad was on the hook for. Uh, so you want to crack down on the lads. But it says when it comes to wives and daughters, in verse 3, it says, If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge, while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she hath bound herself, and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. So if she makes a promise and dad hears her say it, or he hears her give an oath, and he says nothing, well then she's on the hook for it. She has to perform her vow. However, it says, but if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will forgive her because her father opposed her. So dad had the option to veto his daughter's vow if he decided to the first time he heard it. He had a one-time special offer to knock that one on the head. And if you read further, you find he also had the same deal with his wife. Now, his wife could go and give the vow somewhere else, but the second word got back to dad, the first time he heard it, he had the option of saying, ah, no, that is null and void. You will, not be, you will not be fulfilling that. And it says God would forgive her. So something quite serious went down when dad knocked it on the head. But if dad heard it, and said, yeah, that's fine, and then a month later decided to go backseas for his wife or his daughter, well, that was, that was no good. He's only got one shot at doing it. Uh, so if your daughter comes up to you and says, Dad, I've promised Sally at school I'm going to give her your laptop, uh, then you as a dad could in clear conscience say, well, it's just not going to be that way, honey, uh, and you'd kill the whole thing. Uh, but what we take away from here is that vows are pretty serious. Uh, they're, they're serious business. And really, the whole of our contract law that we have and all the law and money that goes into that and the people ending up in prison and paying millions of fines all comes back to our government enforcing vows, promises, agreements. And we, we take from this that vows matter to God. Vows matter to God. And because they matter to God and he took, treated them extremely seriously, uh, we should do the same. We should treat them extreme, extremely serious. Now... The question you might be asking yourself is, do they work? Like, do vows, are they effective? And to that I would say that something does happen when you do a vow. I mean, certainly God hears it, and certainly God pays attention to when vows are made, and it, it does seem that when humans vow, they are more likely to stick with what they said, I guess. Not, not usually when they make vows in a panic uh, and under great pressure. 
But there does seem to be some correlation done as that can be seen between people making a vow and people doing it versus people just saying, yeah or nah. Uh, so, so does it work on that level? It, it does seem to. Uh, but I, I guess in terms of does it work, does it help, the best we can go off is examples in the Bible. The Bible just regulates vows. It doesn't tell you exactly as to their effectiveness in making people do things. So in those situations, we look at examples in the Bible of people that made vows and how that turned out. Uh, and so I think the most positive example I can find is Hannah. Uh, Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. So why don't you come on over, turn on over to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we, it starts off with talking about Samuel's mum before he was even born. Uh, and uh, Hannah was married to a man named uh, Elkanah. Elkanah. Elkanah had another wife, so she was uh, the second wife. Maybe she was the first, I don't know. Seems like Elkanah liked her a lot. She may have been, typically it seems in polygamous marriages, that there's usually a more favoured woman than the other, which sounds like a recipe for absolute uh, disaster for me. Uh, and so, so it seems in, in real life. Uh, but the other lady got to have some kids. She was producing children, and, and Hannah wasn't. She hadn't had any children at all. And the other, the other lady was giving her grief over it. Uh, in, this, in this culture, if you had children and the other lady didn't, you were alpha female now. Uh, and you, it was very common for ladies to bully the other childless, childless ladies. Uh, and on top of that, obviously, the, this is something that distressed Hannah greatly. Uh, she, would, she would weep, she would cry, she would pray. And it obviously got a bit on the nerves of her husband. Uh, we look down there in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Then said Elkanah, her husband, unto her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? And, and the answer to that is, no. <laughs> no. You're not. Come on, babe, isn't having me better than a few kids? Uh, and the answer to that is wrong. Uh, you don't have to go far in the Bible to learn of the great bitterness of soul that women experience when they cannot have children. You don't have to go very far, even in our own culture, our own sin-sick society, to discover the grief that childlessness is. Even with all the unnatural and depraved teachings of our culture, telling men and women that you don't need kids and they're a drag and you don't want them, the natural affection that God has placed in the hearts of most people and most women gets to them in the end. It gets to them in the end. And childness is a great bitterness and sadness to them. Ladies, if you're wondering chronologically when this typically strikes, it seems to happen around the age of 30. When you look around and your friends are getting married, and they're having children, and a great yearning desire wells up in the heart of most women, and they want children. Uh, one of the saddest things you can read is testimonies of ex-feminists who were told, you just, you just have your career all the way up to 40, and then maybe, if you want, look at having kids there. And they went to do it, and obviously, biologically, it gets a lot harder. And when they found they could not do it, the bitterness of soul that they were childless... And I'll make a brief side point here before I continue. Uh, and I'm going to point this out. I don't know of anyone in this room who is in this category tonight. Uh, so if this is you, I did not know it. Maybe the Lord does and he would use it. But I will say this. Uh, if you have deceived your wife or your husband 
into marrying you, and then after that you told them that you're going to deny them children, then you have done wickedly, and you should repent of that. It is cruel, it is selfish, and it is unloving and unnatural to deny your spouse the joy of children if it is within your power to give it. Now, if the doctors have told you, if you have a child, you will die, I'm not talking to you. But if you're a normal, healthy adult, and your spouse is too, but you have chosen to defraud your spouse by refusing to give them any children at all, then this is a great evil, and it ought not to be done. Taking a spouse and denying them children is like buying a Kelpie and feeding it food and water, but you lock it in a little cupboard for every day of its life. Now, if someone was to do that, you'd say, oh, the RSPCA will be on to you, mate. That's the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty. They'd say, that's cruel. That is a highly active animal. It is born. It's in its nature to run and to exercise, and you've, and you've trapped it there. That's cruel to deny them. Well, humans are made to give life to other humans, and it is cruel to deny them that. And you say, well, uh, no, no, I'm okay. I, I, I told her before we, you know, I told her before we got married that there'd be no kids. Well, were you saved when you did that? Was that a decision you made before you were a Christian or afterwards? And you say, well, if you were saved, well, then clearly you did not understand how God views this matter. Well, now you do. Now is the time for repentance. Now is the time to tell your husband you're sorry. Now is the time to tell your wife that you are sorry. And if there is still time, then bring forth fruits, meet for repentance, as the Bible says, and invite my wife to the baby shower. But do not defraud your spouse in the matter of children. Now, to you unmarried ones here, if you are interested in someone for marriage and they start talking about how they are planning on robbing you of children, if you were to marry them, I would say be very cautious. Be very cautious. Now, it may be they're just parroting the trash and the lies that their teachers have fed them. But when you show them from the Word of God what the Bible says about the blessing of children, if they'll humble themselves before the Word at that point... That's a very good sign. That's a very good sign. They're still worth considering. But if he or she sticks with the I don't want kids talk, and particularly if they act with revulsion and horror towards the idea of having children, I would say just, just get out. Just run. Uh, don't tell yourself, oh, look, I think they'll change. Don't say, oh, it, it, you know, they're such a great person. I think I'll be happy with just them and me. Uh, you will care and you will care bitterly. In verse 10, it states that Hannah was in bitterness of soul. It will burn and it will hurt you deep down in the furthest reaches of your soul. Have mercy on yourself and find somebody else to build a life with. Run. Now, by our fallen world and our broken bodies. And so she makes a vow. Read with me in verse 9. It says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and not forget thine host. If thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaiden and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. And she vowed a vow. And she got what she requested. This has a happy ending. She got a son called Samuel, and he went on to do great things for the Lord. And she was greatly blessed because of this. So this is strike one in favor of vowing. 
This is a positive outcome. God heard someone vowing, and he didn't come down there and crack down on her and say, you knock that off. Uh, He responded to it, and he gave her what she requested. And she did follow through with her vow. She did it. So in terms of vows and good outcomes, this this one's pretty positive. Does God respond to vows? I would say, uh, yes, he does. He doesn't feel obligated if you vow that he has to do it in response to your vow. Uh, But God is very clearly involved in vows, and they do mean something to him. However, in terms of examples of clear, positive outcomes from humans vowing, that is probably the best you can find in the Bible. If anyone knows of another one, tell me afterwards. But you start to get a hint of the danger and of the downsides of vowing in the book of Psalms, where it talks about a righteous man, and it says this, it says, He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Not blessed is the man that vows, but the one that vows to his own hurt and changes not, where he realizes, oh no, I should never have made this vow. And it says the righteous man, it even says the one that inherits the kingdom, uh, is the one that carries through even when it hurts. And so already there, is that a positive verse about vowing? I guess, but contained within it is a very strong caution that vows can hurt you deeply. Vows can hurt you deeply. You see, swearing locks you in whether you understand the full extent of what you are swearing to or not. When a man discovers the full consequence of his oath, it says the righteous man still follows through. And the Bible gives us some clear, horrific outcomes of the seriousness of vows and of having to carry them out, even when the cost is very great. Now, in our Bible reading tonight, we read the story of Jephthah, who vowed to sacrifice whatever first came out of the door if God gave him victory. And God did give him victory, and the first thing that came dancing out of his door was a little girl, his only child. Now, some people try to mitigate this story and say, oh, no, he he didn't sacrifice her, he He put her in a convent somewhere. I think we're misreading this. But he said, I will give a burnt offering of the first thing that comes out. And then at the end it says, and he did unto her all that he had vowed. He carried through with his vow. The scriptures are plain. And you can almost hear the grief as he realizes he can't go back. Where he says, and it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes. That's where they just just start, something the Jews do in distress, they rip their clothes up. Uh, some of them would, would grab their beards at the same time and just rip it out. So there'd be blood, there'd be tears. Uh, they would get awful clothing to then put on themselves called sackcloth that would make them extremely uncomfortable. It was just a sign of complete distress. And he said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. Now, I'd like to say, oh, look, Jeff does. He's just a bad dude in the Bible. Like, he's, he's just a villain, and this is the villains doing their villain thing. But uh, you find him in the roll call of faith in Hebrews. Um, now, I, don't, I think if I was Jephthah, I would have just said, blow it, I'm an oathbreaker, and that would have been, that would have been me. Um, I, don't think, I don't think I would have followed through. Uh, but he understood the seriousness of vows, and he did. And he did. And the number of people who bitterly regret the oaths and vows that they have taken, it is a very large number, my friends, a very large number. The second wisest man that ever walked on the planet Earth said this towards the end of his life, so when he had seen a lot of things. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we read this, "'When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed.' 
Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? If I had to give someone advice on vows from just one passage in the Old Testament, it would be that one. Uh, You are playing with fire. As best as I can see, vows are high risk for limited reward. Limited reward. It is better that you do not vow. Now, you might be thinking at this point, well, goodness, bro, you seem pretty down on vows for something that God regulated, like we have him regulating it, uh, and we have examples of other believers in the Old Testament doing it. Well, come on over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We have a very famous passage of the Bible where Jesus outlines what God really thinks of what should be done versus things he was willing to permit and regulate in the Old Testament. Despite those things in the Old Testament grieving him and being against his nature, God did give rules to regulate them. And yet when you read through the passage we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is constantly taking those regulations and saying, guys, do you realize what God truly thinks of this, what God truly wants? And if you thought that was stiff back then, it's more serious than you could have possibly imagined. As Christians, we are not held to the Old Testament standard, although we do often go to the Old Testament to learn of our God and what He is like. But no, we rather look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and He speaks directly on the matter of vows. Read with me from verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, he's quoting the Old Testament now, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. Well, that's familiar. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, Yea, and nay, nay, for whatsoever is more of these cometh of evil. Cometh of evil. Jesus' counsel is that, yes, while you can vow and you can swear, and there is that option on the table, do not do it. Say yes. Say no. But don't swear. Don't swear about anything you find in heaven or anything you find in earth or anything you find in a city or anything you find on your body. And if you say, well, look, I'm sort of running out of other things to swear on. There's nothing else. That's the lot. He's listed everything and said, do not do it. Do not swear. Why? For whatsoever is more of these cometh of evil. Vows multiply evil. Just don't. Many Baptists for thousands of years have sworn off swearing and have refused to do it. And it's cost them. It's cost them positions in government. They say, if you won't take that oath, you can't have that job. It's cost them positions in the army. Armies have often required loyalty oaths to the nation. And they say, well, I I will not do that. It's cost them positions in law. You can't be a judge unless you swear to uphold the law, and you say, I will not swear, you can't have that job. And for some of them, it costs them their life. Swear allegiance to this religion or to this this government, or we'll kill you. And they refuse to swear. But they don't regret it now. They don't regret it now. Now you say, well, what about when I have to testify in court? Like, you know, they they ask me to swear on the Bible. You don't have to do it. 
You don't have to. They give you the option. You can swear on the Bible or you can give an affirmation saying you will tell the truth. So when they say, do you, do you, are you, well, do you swear on the Bible to tell the truth? I would recommend to you to say no. Uh, if they say, do you, do you agree to tell the truth? You could say yes. That is fine. But do not vow. Do not swear. And you might say, well, well, hey, it's, it's, it's my wedding day. I mean, it's, it's, it's just real sweet in the ceremony when we get to that part, you know, and, and, and you know, there's that, there's that lovely traditional wedding vows. And, and my counsel to you from the Scriptures and from God is do not do it. Do not do it. You stand to lose much more than you stand to gain by giving those vows. Now, if you're the sort of chap that is liable to divorce your wife because, you know, you, you didn't pinky promise, uh, or if you're the sort of lady who's going to put away her husband because you didn't give an oath, despite knowing everything that God says about the permanence of marriage, then you won't be restrained by any oath. It won't, it won't hold you back. You will just compound the evil and multiply the sin. You say, well, look, it's, it's really romantic. I'm going to do it anyway. Then my counsel to you is vow something you mean. Vow something that you can live up to. Now, I have sat with many Christians and discussed their opinions on what they believe the Bible teaches about marriage and its permanence, and they've given me their opinions on what they believe the options that God has left them on the table there. And that's, that's between them and the Lord. But then when they get married, they stand up here and they vow to something that is far more restrictive than what they believe the Bible tells them. My counsel to you is do not do that. Just vow what you mean. Vow what you mean. You don't have to say those words. They're not found anywhere. In the Bible. And you say, no, no, but we take marriage very seriously. So do I. We take vows very seriously. So do I. And for that cause, I would say to you, do not vow. If you must, make a vow that you can keep. You can keep. I cannot. Now, some of you are here and you're saying, well, look, man, I was there on your wedding day. And I know some of you were. And they remember my vow. And it was. It was a traditional wedding vow. Till death do us part. And I have made that vow to my wife and I have every intention of carrying that out. But I cannot in good conscience recommend that course of action to anybody else in light of what our Lord commands us here. So you say, oh, you kept your wedding vow, Josh. What a good boy. No wonder you're so tough on the guys that didn't keep theirs, eh? Get stuck in, mate. Well, before you go too down, far down that line of thought, I've made two vows before God in my life, not one. My wedding vows were just one. You say, oh, well, tell us about the other one, Josh. How'd that turn out for you? Well, it was 15 years ago. And I listened to a sermon by a man on vows. And he gave all the cautions, but he thought they were still for Christians today and that there was a blessing in making and keeping them. And it's not his fault. I don't blame him. I could read the Bible for myself and he gave all the warnings, more, more strenuously than I have done so tonight, along with his belief that vows were permissible for Christians. And so I vowed a vow. And I did not keep it. I am an oath breaker. Not just like, oh yeah, but that was six, you know, I was six and I said it in the playground and that was before I was saved. I was already saved. And I meant it when I said it. Said it out loud unto the Lord. 
bowed a vow, did not keep it. I meant it when I said it, but the situation changed. I swore and I broke it. And it wouldn't even have been to my hurt to keep it. I was actually vowing to do a very good thing, and I didn't. And I broke it anyway. Now, has God forgiven me? Absolutely. That didn't come as a surprise to him when I broke it. He put all that on Jesus' tab about 2,000 years ago, and he paid for it before I was born. But nothing I read in the Scriptures tell me, just laugh it off, man. It doesn't matter. Uh, I remember it each time I read in the Scriptures the direct command of our Lord, swear not at all. Now, some say to this, hey, but, you know, we, we got Paul in the Bible. You know, we, we've got Paul making a vow in the New Testament. Like, we got him in Acts. He, he, he vows a vow there. Surely his example there is permission for us as Christians. Well, look, my friends, I will say this. When the Bible tells you history, it gives it to you warts and all and just tells you what people did. And when all you've got on the permission front is a record of somebody doing it, but on the direct command front, you have Jesus and the apostles stating, do not do this, then I believe the Lord's mind is plain. You might say, well, Josh, it just it doesn't feel that serious. I mean, everyone swears and breaks. And surely it isn't that bad. Is it just one statement from Jesus enough to outweigh all those examples? Well, to that I would say yes. One statement from Jesus should be the beginning and the end for Christians. But just in case we were slow, just in case we didn't get it the first time, the Lord repeats himself in the book of James. Chapter 5, verse 12, with emphasis. But above all things... Ooh, does that sound serious? But above all things, says James, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth... Hang on, I've, I've heard this before. Neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. It is repeated. My brethren, swear not. If you take nothing else from tonight, swear not. The next time an oath rises up in you or situations contrive to pressure you to vow, I would say this, swear not. God is glorified when we swear not. It is the will of God that we make no vows. He could not be clearer than he has been, swear not. To fallen human beings with a sin nature in a broken world, God says, swear not. Now, there is somebody else that's in the swearing business in the vowing business, in the business of giving oaths. And that is God himself. God may have forbidden us as Christians from vowing in the same way we forbid our toddlers from the car keys, but that doesn't stop God from exercising the right and jumping in the driver's seat whenever he feels like it. And our God is a God of oaths, a God of vows, and a God of promises, and he uses them all the time. So I've given you the bad news on the vowing front tonight. Let's have some of the good news. God may be planning on destroying all who break oaths and tell lies and commit sins. He has a plan, and that plan is called the lake of fire. But God has sworn an oath to save to the uttermost any human being that will flee to Jesus to save them. We have a promise. We have God's word. He has given us his word that if you repent of your sins and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he will save you from the pit, and he will place his Holy Spirit inside you, and he will forgive you for everything you've ever done and ever will do. And once you've done this, it won't be on you or your efforts to ensure that promise comes to pass. It will come to pass because God cannot lie. 
God breaks no oaths. We have a sure and a certain promise of heaven once we are saved by Jesus because God is not a man that he should make an oath like that and break it. Now, we have a record of God making a deal with a human, and it's very clear that God knew all about oaths and deals with humans. Because normally when we make a contract, we have the one side's agreement, I'll do this, and if you do that, then we'll do that. And the, the, the contract depends on each side keeping their bargain. And God said to this man, Abraham, yeah, it's not going to be like that, mate. And he knocked him out. And God made the entire bargain on his own. Why? He was the only thing he knew that could guarantee it would be carried out. God did the swearing for the both of them. Now, if you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus, then God is here to offer you an extremely one-sided deal that he promises he will uphold. You let God take your life and your sins, and in exchange, God will make you his child, and he will prepare for you a place in heaven, and he will never let you fall, and he will never let you burn. He promises. He gives you his word. And you say, okay, well, what do I, what do I promise in, to do in return? And the answer to that is nothing. Once he has you, he has you forever, and he has sworn that you'll never fall. So my plea to you, if you are here tonight, is not to leave this place until God's promise applies to you. It does not apply until the day you ask for it, to the day you say to Jesus, forgive me my sins and take my life. And from that moment, God's oath, his promise, is upon you and bound to you. And you'll have an eternity at home with heaven. Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, for this good day that you've given us. Lord God, we thank you for your great oaths, your great vows. Lord, your promises that you've given that can never be broken and never have been broken. Lord God, we thank you for what you have taught us and shown us in your word. And we pray you bless it to us now. Let us use it for your glory and your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.